Welcome to the India Fintech Diaries, the only podcast focused exclusively on the Indian fintech market. I'm Elroy. And I'm Himan. In each episode, we dive into the latest trends, ideas, innovations, business models, and personalities that are shaping India's fintech landscape. We also invite amazing guests who are innovators and industry players that are driving the change that is helping make financial services more modern, innovative, and inclusive in India. Come join us as we explore the changing landscape of fintech in India. Hello, hello, and welcome to the India Fintech Diaries, the show where we talk about all things Indian fintech. It's been a crazy rollercoaster for a year, Hemant. And when the year started, I didn't think that this much would have happened uh, just by December. It's been a crazy eventful year for fintech, both in India and globally. And to do a year-end retrospective, we have Osborne Saldana from Emphasis Venture. Welcome to India Fintech Diaries, Osborne. Tell us about yourself and what do you do? Thanks for having me on, uh, Elroy and Hemant. Uh, I've been a long-time listener and a fan of your work. So very excited to be here. I'm with uh, Emphasis Ventures, or EMVC in short. Uh, we are a US-based fintech-focused fund uh, that invests in early-stage fintech opportunities. And great to have you on board as well, Ospan. And I hope that today's conversation is going to be extremely interesting for all of us. Hemant, to get started, uh, what's been some of the funding stats that you've looked at over the last year or so? Yeah, right. This year, from funding perspective, at least didn't look as good as the last year. Of course, everyone knows that. So this year, till 15th November, the amount of funding which has been raised is about $5 billion. And if you compare this to the last year, last year was about $10 billion. So it is just 50% of what it was last year. And if you look at across how it is split across the different category or stages of the company, the seed stage companies raised about $340 million. The early stage, about $1.5 billion and the late $3.3 billion. Now, the seed stage and the early stage fundings, the difference is not much. So the impact was primarily on the late stage funding where we saw the late stage investor being a little more cautious and playing a wait and watch game or doing a more detailed due diligence and not going by FOMO and investing. So that's how the year has looked like from funding perspective. Osborne, you've been part of uh, the whole uh, funding industry as well. I'd love to get your perspectives on what's been happening in the la- in the year that's gone by. Uh, I, I think the way we have seen it is, uh, I think I'll break it into two parts. Uh, at least in the first half of the year, we've seen a phase of hyper growth for fintech in India. Uh, we've seen record uh, products being launched. We've seen record funds being raised, acquisitions happening. You name it, there have been record highs uh, in that first half of the year. Uh, But then as we went into the second half of the year, there was uh, a phase that we call the phase of fintech being rewritten, right? Uh, The entire playbook of fintech that we've known so far uh, is kind of being rewritten as we speak. And the business models, the revenue models, all that we've seen so far is all being rewritten. And that is something to be definitely very excited about for the next year. Uh, Obviously, a lot of this rewriting phase has been driven by regulation but that makes it even more exciting to sort of build on uh, and that's how we have seen it uh, at least this this past year i think the other thing that uh, i've also noted is uh, from a funding perspective right a lot of new funds were also raised in the last two years so for example uh, koana capital raised about uh, 332 million dollars which is focused on fintech uh, to invest in emerging markets right qad had raised about a a billion dollars in 2021 and was supposed to d- deploy about 500 million uh, in India in 2022. 
and very recently incred uh, credit opportunities fund raised about uh, 300 crores uh, with uh, with kind of an option to uh, increase that to about 1000 crores while the focus is not specifically on fintech but again they're looking at uh, investing in private uh, companies at a series c and uh, d kind of growth stage another interesting thing i think that i really want to get your perspective on and not specific to these funds that i mentioned but uh, generally right given the fact that uh, fintech as you rightly mentioned is being rewritten right where do you see the opportunities are uh, for fintech funding uh, in the year to come yeah i think you're right in addition to the funds that you mentioned i think there was beams fintech as well that raised a 100 million fund uh, and there were several other uh, early stage funds as well specific to fintech that were raised right so you're right that there is a lot of capital that has been raised to be deployed in this sector from our perspective at emphasis ventures i think we are very optimistic and uh, definitely playing the multi decade game in fintech uh, not just in india but globally as well right? Uh, right when it comes to india specifically though uh, i think just because uh, we've been in the sector for a long time uh, we still see a lot of opportunity across the fintech landscape uh, whether you think of it from a consumer perspective on credit insurance wealth or any of these other products or you see it from a small business or enterprise perspective i think there is opportunity to build uh, infrastructure to target a lot of these businesses we feel that there is an opportunity to co-create new products with existing financial firms and several other opportunities like that i think what's most important and very exciting about india is that the macro of india is still intact and that therein lies the opportunity what i mean by that is that india is still a fairly underpenetrated country when it comes to credit yeah. india is still uh, underpenetrated when it comes to insurance wealth we are still seeing business models evolving so that so the macro of india still remains intact and therein lies the opportunity the other main aspect that we have seen over the past few years is that a lot of people that have built built large businesses in the past which were non fintech businesses those founders are coming and building in fintech so really credible people are coming and building in fintech right and so yeah. a lot of capital will end up going to those founders as well who have the credibility and who understand how what it takes to build a startup what it takes to build uh, in a regulatory framework and those sort yeah. of aspects so so capital will go i think to in in those sectors uh, over the next years to come understood and elroy and osborn just building on the point that osborn said the year as osborn rightly said and elroy you'll remember last yeah. year when we were doing the same episode there was so much excitement around fintech and there were so many topics right we had bnpl being discussed new right. banks being discussed payment forms doing multiple things being discussed and this carried on for the first half of the year i think till june and after the june the entire environment changed which a lot of people see it as negative but and we were having this discussion earlier it is in a way a very positive thing the way regulation is moving because as fintechs were building and they were crossing a certain size trust was going to become an issue what is now happening is because of regulation becoming tighter and it's be getting driven by regulation at least that's but that part of it the trust problem could get solved and osman rightly said because the uncertainty goes away because earlier there was this gray area in regulation where a lot of players were playing now since the gray area is getting reduced they will be playing in the white of the regulation right and when they are playing there the trust yeah. is there the uncertainty goes down so what at least i see is we are going through this phase of pain yes but the pain was necessary for this sector to mature 
and the investor to become more confident on the sector and invest as osborne rightly said in not only companies that are mature and certain but also in new entrepreneurs who have already proven them in non fintech games and maybe are on the head of uh, in some cases conglomerates coming into fintech and playing this game as well interesting thoughts uh, himant i think the other thing i want to just touch on maybe on a lighter note uh, himant and osborne right uh, what's one interesting company that you think got funded last year uh, from your perspective maybe himant you can go first <laughs> last year elroy was good for me uh, at least from financial perspective so i started thinking ki now i am investing in x amount of areas or the traditional spaces i still have some extra amount left which i can't do tax related investment so what can i do with that slightly extra capital and that's when i started looking at few firms and i came across few so one of them uh, was called a ricker club i think they raised a 30 million seed round uh, this year only where you can uh, finance a company based on their recurring revenues uh, and they don't go through any equity dilution and there is, it is a more reliable source of yield being generated for you which is much higher than the traditional investment places where you can put your capital interesting osborne what about you i think in my view one of the most interesting companies to have been funded uh, is a company called bureau uh, okay. it's a portfolio company but uh, they are building on a uh, digital identity uh, f- to reduce fraud uh, in financial transactions and things like that right uh, yeah. i i think it's interesting because in the world of real time payments in the world of instant finance and things like that a lot of times fraud ends up becoming uh, a very big problem for a lot of the fintechs that are trying to solve for those kind of uh, problems right and uh, it's sort of an underappreciated solution to solve for fraud and bureau is sort of attacking just that uh, but you may say that okay well it's a portfolio company and you're trying to you know just pump your own portfolio to be to be honest osborne i think your portfolio has a pretty interesting company in fact one of my picks is also from your portfolio right uh, this is company called tartan that's looking yes. at employee verification i think what you're doing is pretty interesting in yes. terms of solving a problem that Uh, most people don't realize they have right but from a lender's perspective getting access to that kind of employee information and verified from the hrms itself uh, can can actually be pretty useful yes. and to be honest in the long run uh, a company called tartan could even actually becomes a pseudo credit bureau if it plays out well so it'll be interesting to see what that company does here's hoping uh, but actually another company that i really liked that got funded this year uh, i think they raised about 5 to 6 million is a company called bharat x Uh, yeah. Bharat X uh, is a lending infra company, okay. uh, and I think the the founders over there are just excellent founders. Very young, very hungry, and really quick and nimble to execute. Uh, I think I haven't used any of their products, but from my interactions with the founders, I wouldn't bet against them. Uh, I think they will be they are onto something, and they will build something really good stuff. I think when while you talk about funding, right? The immediate other thing hap- that comes to mind is uh, mergers and acquisitions. And uh, the last year or the year that went by, we'd seen some pretty interesting deals, specifically in the latter half of the year. So I think very recently, just in November, uh, Credit with their uh, towards the end of November, not even just uh, in November, right? Credit with their got uh, acquired by Credit, and it's very interesting in my opinion and. as to what uh, credit with their brings to credit from a lending perspective and given everything else that credit is doing around lending and a couple of other areas uh, around uh, new banking etc it's an interesting play what's your view hemant 
actually more than view i am a little confused uh, i was also trying to think through this but you see with credibility of course they are bringing in underwriting expertise which will help them with the lending game that they are playing but if you yeah. credit with they are the core offering they said is we will help you analyze or evaluate credit worthiness of people who are not getting funded or maybe who do not have a basically who have a thin file or no file right, right. but the target audience for credit is completely different saying i will only cater to people who have very high credit scores so yeah i understand the credit capability being brought in house but the target audience is very different so I, yeah a little confused as well osborn what about you i think it's an interesting acquisition for sure uh, didn't see this coming honestly but uh, i think for i think just building on what heman just said right uh, cred is apparently i mean at least in the media is being portrayed as this company that is targeting uh, high credit uh, score users and things like that but i think there yeah. are a lot of people that end up wanting to use cred and cred has a capability to lend to not just the high credit worthy people but even the thin file or new new to credit sort of customers right and even those yeah. customers end up coming on cred for the commerce offering uh, over there uh, and so for the people that are thin file or even new to credit where there is alternate data i think that acquisition of credit with you to some extent makes uh, makes sense from that angle where they can use this alternate data to adequately score and identify the credit worthiness of these thin file and new to credit uh, sort of borrowers uh and cred is doing uh, exceptional when it comes to lending uh they've built a very strong book in the country and i think this acquisition will only do great for them i think uh, just kind of riffing off what you said right uh, this kind of reminds me of what tesla did with its entire uh, journey right with uh, building out uh, its electric car proposition initially it started with this really a really brilliant uh, kind of a sports car model which is expensive which only very few people could uh, kind of afford which is kind of equivalent to what credit is doing with its uh, high credit score kind of audience first right and once they kind of really honed that entire building the car strategy with uh, uh, at the top end they started progressively getting cheaper and cheaper models and that's pro- possibly what credit intends to do with credit with there kind of then start targeting uh, lower and lower credit scores finally getting to maybe subprime also for that matter Elroy I think it would be a longer and uh, more deeper conversation conversation that we can can have on that because now yeah. we're going to spaces of saying whether it will work not work okay will they go into like categories does that make sense but the thing is uh, lending is slightly a, dif- a different game right the moment you yeah. get into subprime category and you are planning to lend to them the collection will become a thing and the moment you get start getting into lower credit scores or extremely low credit scores the collection keeps becoming more physical and expensive compared to someone who is on a higher side of the credit score and completely maybe credit card kind of customer you are playing in so yeah extremely interesting uh, so we'll have to see how it pans out but definitely plugs into their lending story that they're trying to build for sure i guess moving on to the next one which is uh, poshwan by reserve so i'll just give a little bit of background on uh, poshwan right just before so poshwan is a purely an uh, loyalty player and it's interesting that reserve picked them up because uh, I don't know how it actually fits into the strategy per se, right? Maybe at some point they also want to bundle and loyalty offering to the merchants that they acquire on the platform. So the proposition to a merchant could be that uh, you take uh, payment aggregation services from us, uh, the payment gateway from us, right? 
and we'll also give you this loyalty engine that you can just plug in and then every time someone uh, buys something off uh, your uh, e-commerce website you can also give them loyalty points so that could potentially be a play and himan what about your thoughts on this i think uh, i look at a reserve acquisition of poshwine and i'll speak about it late about it in the later conversation as well comes yeah. from the point that uh, any fintech player as they go into the next part of their game is now moving from growth to profitability so that's a conversation to be had and when you move to a profitability focused play what you would try to do is you try to get as much as possible from your existing base of customer and also reduce cost and this one okay. comes on the first part of it of saying okay i have x amount of customers what more can i do with them and when the question of more comes in then you can get into say lending you also start doing wealth there is a loyalty play that can come in if you're doing for merchants then there is a semi banking play which reserve came in to saying reserve x i think it is in that direction of saying what more can i do with x amount of customers that i already have and i really understand i think the other things that have happened in the year in the whole mna space right one was this whole uh, zest money acquisition deal by phonepe that got kind of pseudo announced by the media but not seen really a lot of developments on it but i think the bigger one in the entire space was the whole uh, crash and burn on the builder steel so yeah. that was interesting uh, personally i thought that uh, in the end of the day payu process finally figured out that they paid too much and they just tried to figure out a way to get out of it yeah i don't know the background story but yeah i wouldn't call it interesting uh, because that was like the, one of the largest deals in fintech would have been good if we'd have gone through it would have a good story to tell uh, yeah. of the success of the india fintech story right uh, i yeah i think it's it's sad that it didn't go through yeah i agree with him on actually on this uh, that it would have made for a great story but more importantly it would have built a lot of confidence in the ecosystem correct well even i don't know the details of the uh, deal but uh, it would have been good to see a deal like that go through i mean the other thing about it was it was a 2021 deal and 2021 was the year when everyone went crazy so <laughs> it could be kind of an uh, kind of a fallout of that entire craziness and What's finally another, sobering up in 2022 another acquisition actually that uh, went quiet uh, fairly quickly was the Pine Labs acquisition of Setu, yep. which yep. I thought was a very interesting acquisition that happened. Why it was interesting to me was that from I mean, Pine Labs is a payments company. They were largely offline, at least in India, and then they launched Plural, which was their online payment gateway. And with the acquisition of Setu, I think it brings a lot of infra capabilities uh, to continue building and pushing through those pipes of payments, which I think is. very smarter move and i've seen this i mean with payment gateways i mean payment companies globally including stripe having launched their own infra platform we've seen even adian launching their own infra platform yeah so it's uh, it's happening globally but also in india for uh, pine labs to do something like that is uh, quite impressive that's a nice one in fact i somehow missed a kind of uh, having focus on that thanks for getting that up as one the next thing i think we should look at is uh, from a regulations perspective what happened it's been a crazier as far as regulations right <laughs> i mean not crazy you should say yeah elroy we should say 2022 was a year when the star was <laughs> regulators <laughs> and it's not just that it's literally like uh, this this stuff still coming out uh, right now in fact just last week right there's uh, some interesting stuff they announced again in one of the 
press releases etc they put out so let's spend a little time and unpack all of that and i'll probably start this off with something which is a bit easier for all of us so if you recall in 2021 uh, american express and mastercard both kind of got banned for various mm-hmm. reasons and finally uh, the ban was lifted this year right and all of them are back now completely uh, with all guns blazing into the market and the other interesting thing that finally happened is the whole tokenization mandate finally kicked off on october 1st right uh, so that's going to be interesting in the coming years to see whether that actually helps uh, solve some of the problems that it was supposed to solve right but i think the big thing that w- was on everyone's mind in this year was the entire shake up of digital lending and maybe hemant you can spend a little time just giving us a little bit of background on that for uh, kind of a refresh and then we could yeah. get discussing it sure sure i'll reactly it can also be broken down into two parts the first part was the shocker which was the june circular which was uh, around not funding ppis via credit lines and a lot of firms in the fintech world had built their business models or revenue models around that concept of issuing ppi instruments and over that providing loans which was very convenient to consumers as well because it was bringing credit to consumers who were not being served by the traditional ways right and it was also getting around and now we know it was around uh, the credit card regulation which are already in place now the circular came in that not only can you not fund your ppi via credit lines but also that when you do a disbursement the regulated entity basically the nbfc or a bank or whoever yep. is lending should disburse it only to the customer's bank account except in exceptional cases such as home loan and everything where of course the loan will directly go to the merchant so with that the business model for a lot of new banks or bnpl play- players came crashing down and they had to find ways to solve this in a way that will make the regulator happy and i think there were only few ways and please add if you think of any others one was of course either they can launch a co-branded credit card with a bank right which is will be a traditional credit card or they treat each amount that they give out to their consumers as a separate loan item which would be problematic in case you are playing a bnpl game which is a convenience bnpl and not a affordability kind of bnpl game right which yeah. was being used by the higher credit score people just for the convenience of it right which was replacing the credit card in a way right that's another way of doing it uh, or you basically disburse the amount directly to the bank account of the consumer and then on that bank account you have a ppi card on which of course the amount can be moved but it breaks or creates so much friction in within the process that the entire beauty of the earlier process gets lost so it was i think a shocker and as uh, osborne pointed out it kind of was a point after which the entire story changed for the industry and then you had the new digital lending norms i'll just point out some key elements that it covered one was which i covered was the amount to be disbursed only into the borrower's bank account then the second was all fees and charges which were to be paid to the loan service provider should be paid by the regulated entity which is either the banks or nbfc whoever is the entity providing loans and then it also standardized the cost disclosures which has to be done by the regulated entity so that a customer can clearly compare what he is getting from the from the creditor because earlier a lot of fees was getting hidden so people used to only say what the interest rates are and then there were some additional fees to be paid now it is compulsory that you put out a annual percentage rate which would be inclusive of all fees and interest so that's also there again the automatic increase on credit limit which happens on your credit instrument has to be with the consent of the borrower and every lsp 
which is with a regulated entity will have to be clearly listed out and the regulated entity has to ensure that the lsp has is kosher has all kind of processes which are required by the regulator so very extensive bit of regulations but the idea is to make the uh, credit industry work in a way which is beneficial to the customer and the risks are reduced for the consumer i think the other other one that you probably kind of missed out is very recent mm-hmm. right which was also changed in the december master direction on securitization so yeah. they introduce an uh, interesting concept that uh, loans with tenure under 365 days could not be securitized anymore i don't know the logic but yeah i saw the gu- gu- guideline but i do not understand the logic behind it which kind of uh, kind of hits against hits against any fintech making shorter duration loans which is expecting to move it off their books or helping the bank move it off their books to securitization so it's a- an interesting piece there as well mm. so with all this kind of a shake up where do you think the industry is headed himant uh, uh some part of it i already covered elroy yeah. i think this was required and pending and everyone knew that this is going to come it's just that the shape and form it has come in was a shock to everyone uh, and and the amount of time given to everyone to comply was a slightly on the lower side even the new digital lending norms i think kicks in from november which is a short time everyone is trying to align with that but going forward it will also lead to a lot of consolidation in this space considering the traditional players who wanted to play in these areas or wanted to get more scale or were lacking in digital capabilities may start looking at a lot of these players yep. to get either scale or the skill that they required and a lot of these companies are at available will be available at uh, valuations which would be very attractive for them to get in so think of all these old school or incumbent nbfcs Yeah. and for them it is like amazing opportunity so i at least in this space expect a lot of mna activity to start uh, we'll see how it pans out but yeah a bit of consolidation and some amount of mna to happen in this space i think ospon you've been a bit closer to the operating side of these things right with uh, your conversations with fintech etc what's been the kind of reaction and the kind of uh, approach that people have started taking to addressing some of these regulatory changes I think I'd like to start with saying that I've been a RBI fanboy for <laughs> over 9 years now and uh, I think that RBI is an excellent regulator uh, I don't have a, obviously experience with regulators globally but I've always maintained that globally innovation has always preceded regulation but I think in India the opposite has been true for for a yeah. large part at least in fintech in India right so given that uh, and and while the digital regulation digital lending regulations in india has caused some heartache among startups in india i think everyone sort of realizes now that the rbi has always cared about consumer rights protection right protecting the consumer to an extent that's one trend that a lot of fintechs have realized the second trend that a lot of fintechs have realized is that if you want to build a fintech startup in the country you need to be licensed entity right and so there is to i think kemon's point that there is going to be a consolidation or acquisition of an entity which owns a license by fintechs right so fintechs are going to start acquiring entities or starting to apply for new licenses and that's definitely going to be a trend that stays i think a lot of fintech startups are also starting to realize that because of regulations you need to start owning as much of your business model as possible which yeah. means a lot less outsourcing a lot a lot less sort of partnerships and things like that which to some extent requires a lot of capital and therefore i 
I believe that the larger companies of fintechs, financial services firms, and things like that uh, are going to have a bigger and up, a larger upper hand uh, in financial services in the country. This will make starting up in financial services a lot more expensive and will require a lot more capital. So I think people are starting to realize that as well uh, because of these regulations that has happened. And I think a last part that I would like to also sort of highlight about regulations is that RBI has made financial services regulations kind of glitzy and everyone talks about RBI. But I think yeah. the regulator that has been forgotten is IRDAI. Actually, yes, uh, I, mean, I totally forget them all the time because I never dealt with insurance. Simon keeps reminding me that there is something <laughs> called insurance also in the country. Yeah, and, and I think for a large part, it was IRDA's own doing, which is why, uh, I mean, they were a lot more risk averse, uh, which is why there wasn't a lot to be done in, in, in insurance. Yeah. But I think uh, just this past year, since the new chairman has been appointed, I think the pace of new approvals, regulations and things like that has a lot of really amazing implications for the ecosystem in insurance. And I'm very excited about that space. It's a good good segue, Elroy Osborne. So I'll just cover uh, one part on insurance. So there is a recent set of reforms, expected reforms that have been exposed by the Department of Financial Services to the industry. And these are very interesting ones, if you see. One of them is a composite license. Today, you have a general insurance license. You have either a standalone health insurance license or a life insurance license. And then the other distribution license, right? A composite license would help you to play life, health, general, all these games together. So that's one. And these are all in discussion, but extremely powerful reforms being discussed. The other one is allowing insurance players to sell other financial products. Considering that a lot of these insurance players have good penetration in the deeper part of the country and can also benefit from the revenue that they get by selling selling other financial products. Because purely purely from general insurance perspective, Elroy and Osborne, yeah. they have a negative underwriting income. Nearly all of them. I think there will be only one or two who would have a positive underwriting income. All their income today on which they would make profit will come from investments. Now, because of that, if they also start getting income from selling other financial products, it will augur well to make them profitable slightly earlier compared to okay. what the general space is. And the third one, which I'm really excited about is there is a minimum capital requirement of about 100 crores to start an insurance firm. And there's a discussion on this saying that can we adjust that minimum capital requirement based on the scale and the size of the company, which is planning to start an insurance play. That would be very interesting. And the last one is, I think, plays into well for large uh, business houses, which is a captive insurance license, which is basically you take an insurance license, but you only serve all the companies within companies and people under your group. Okay. So that would be an interesting one as well. So a lot of reforms and uh, thanks for to Osborne to bring IIDI up, but regulations that are being discussed, reforms that are being discussed, which are then a lot of them are already getting pushed through. For example, one was how many uh, insurers a bank can can partner with yeah. right which enables them to sell multiple insurance product, products over multiple players that has al- already happened so yeah a lot happening on the irdi regulation side as well interesting stuff Hemant. i and the other area that i think was uh, interesting in this year uh, everyone's favorite uh, fintech poster child upi also lots of stuff that was happening right so there was credit on UPI that got introduced. Uh, there was UPI 123 pay that got introduced, which was a UPI payment on feature phones uh, that was introduced in March. Then we had UPI Lite, 
I don't know whether you uh, you have had a chance to try this or either Hemant or Spawn. Have you tried UPI Lite yet? Not not yet. I'll try. Yeah, I um, think it's just started rolling out because uh, it's available on Beam right now, mm-hmm. and a couple of the other apps. So we should definitely give it a shot and see how that actually works. At least uh, it's been pretty seamless uh, in the quick test that I did. And uh, very recently, the last one they introduced was this whole concept of uh, UPI's uh, single block and multiple debits. Now, all of these, I think, will uh, open up new avenues for innovation as far as fintechs are concerned and uh, help them get maybe new features or models in the space. No, I think uh, product managers at NPCI, especially the UPI product managers, have been to pre- <laughs> have had a pretty busy year. Uh, moving in the right direction because UPI primarily was being done, used on smartphones. Uh, so a big half of the country was getting left out yeah. from an innovation that was having a massive impact on the world. And with both UPI Lite, UPI 123Pay, we have been able to bring that set of people under the umbrella of UPI and we will see that impact going forward. Credit on UPI is very interesting because uh, one part I did not cover on the PPI bit was that we have to find a way to put credit on a payment channel, right? Yeah. Which today, one channel is of course credit card, which is fairly limited. The only NBFCs who have access of issuing credit card today, I think is only Bank of Baroda and SBI, right? Others don't have access. So there has to be a way to put credit on UPI channel. And this is looks like a first step going in that direction where UPI credit card can be linked. Uh, it would be good to see in the future, even Visa, MasterCard getting linked to this and payments or credit happening on UPI uh, through via this. I think the other other experiment it did, which was overdraft on UPI, didn't really take off as uh, they expected, which was the other way to get credit on UPI. But yeah. uh, let's see how this pans out. Osborne, I remember you tweeting sometime back about the whole uh, changes that they did in BB, BBPS, right? Uh, to allow anyone to become a biller. Maybe you could talk a little bit on that as well and the implications of that. Yeah, I think uh, this was announced literally just this week, the first week of December for by RBI. And I think this is a fairly interesting uh, update uh, with regard to Bharat bill payment system, yep. where any merchant can become a biller on this system, right? And I think this sort of could be an evolution of UPI autopay or the eNash system and things like the other... Uh, recurring payment systems that we have in the country where uh, Bharat bill payment system just works compared to the other uh, platforms that are there, right? And, and I think yeah. uh, with with any merchant or any startup being able to become a merchant really opens up the floodgates when it comes to billing a, a user, sending notifications to the user and charging subscription-based product lines to the user. Right. So I, I'm very excited about this. Uh, I'm sure there will be a little bit of problems initially when it comes to execution and because there will be so many people or so many merchants that will want to become billers on the platform there will be issues initially but i'm very optimistic about that i think from my perspective uh, i found this a bit uh, kind of how how should i put it a bit repetitive because a you already had this entire uh, set of regulations and changes that they did on the si front right to cater to cards and BPPS also supports the card. So it'll be interesting to see what happens because a lot of firms have made uh, considerable investments to bring SI-related products in line with regulations very recently. And now with this whole BPPS concept coming in that kind of eats away at the same subscription space, it'll be interesting to see if there's uh, some kind of startup that comes up that actually leverages BPPS to disrupt some of the incumbents in the SI space. So that's what I'll, at least from my perspective, I'll be really watching out for. 
and uh, finally ospon here's a tongue twister for you uh, what do you prefer erupi or erupi <laughs> <laughs> this is a very interesting question uh, i will stick to cbdc or central bank digital currency <laughs> yeah because there's too much confusion over the similarly named products right because you had erupi come out uh, with the central bank digital currency and sometime back uh, npc had also introduced its uh, kind of voucher based system it, it it was actually a, a play on the words upi which was e r u p i but you pronounce it the same way so hence the confusion absolutely uh, but i was able to see an early video of the rbi cbdc in action in an sbi app and i was quite blown away by the implementation of it i am very optimistic and excited to use it uh, i'm i don't know how this will work in the wild but uh, very optimistic and very excited to be able to use it and see it uh, in operation to be honest it's a step in the right direction but if not properly executed right and uh, going to the discussion paper that put out uh, the reserve bank had put out on uh, cbdc they seem to have thought through it pretty well and considered all the implications of it because uh, fundamentally it changes the way money is created in the system right because typically you have banks that contribute a significant amount to money generation in the system and by using a central bank digital currency where invariably you are actually holding an account with the central bank right. where uh, where your money is held instead of the bank it has implications for the overall economy as well and i'm actually happy that rbi has put in enough thought in those space those uh, areas before it actually went ahead with uh, uh, the pilots on both on the wholesale as well as the retail front Well, moving on, I think uh, when the year started, none of us thought that there'd be a war in Feb, right? None of us thought that uh, the West would see double-digit inflation, right? And none of us thought that uh, the RBI would raise rates five times this year, with the latest being uh, bring the repo up to six point two five percent. So, with uh, these kind of impacts on uh, the lending rates, uh, inflation kind of eating into sa- savings, and uh, more recently, job losses, right? What are you, what is your take uh, on what this means from a macro perspective? on uh, the entire lending space yeah i think <clears throat> elroy uh, yes we are getting into as i said slightly more painful times um the consumption and what i have always seen is when such a cycle starts uh, for the larger india to realize this and it to have an impact there is always a lag right so right now immediately we don't see it but uh the the lending business in the last six ne- basically the next six months or what a year will get slowed down especially on the consumption side whatever is necessary will continue but anything that is discretionary you we may see an impact there considering that uh the income is going down because of maybe job losses i think the job market is also tightening up a bit and taking a loan is becoming expensive so on the one side the loans are expensive on the other side things that you want to buy are becoming more expensive it is going to have an impact on amount of loan that people take out for discretionary spend osman your thoughts on this i think i'd like to preface my thoughts by saying that i am not a microeconomist i'm not a microeconomist <laughs> none of us are to be honest none I'm, of us are i am an engineer by <laughs> education <laughs> and so i think all three of us engineers <laughs> so i'd just like to say that uh, obviously don't know what's going to happen in the coming year yeah. uh, but uh, it's i'm kind of in a dilemma i mean because what i'm reading at least these days is uh, india's consumption is at all time highs right we've seen record sales at a lot of the e-commerce platforms yep. we've seen record car sales in the country we've seen record gst collection 
Yeah, and if you look at Instagram, it looks like everyone's vacationing in Vietnam. Yeah, precisely. So I mean, flight costs, hotel costs are again the highest that I've seen, at least in the recent past, right? So, so all of those aspects sort of would show that there is a lot of consumption still happening in the country. I don't know. I'm personally cautiously optimistic about 2023, where uh, I don't think that spending will last, and so. from a lending perspective in the country uh, would again be cautious about uh, disbursals but more importantly would focus on collections and things like that right so i i think discretionary spending might slow down uh, again th- this is yeah. just a hunch uh, i can't say for sure and i can't even say when but but that's where at least i am seeing it and i'm obviously cau- cautiously optimistic about 2023 I think the other interesting one that was uh, announced uh, or kind of alluded to in the press, right, uh, in the last year, was this whole uh, whole concept of Reliance finally making an entry into fintech. Hemant, uh, what's your high-level thoughts on this? That would be very interesting. But my last guess on a large player entering has not gone so well. I think I thought WhatsApp coming into payments would be a big thing. uh everyone will run helter and skelter but it has not made a big splash but having said that um with reliance if you look at their current and it was always supposed to happen right because their current subscriber base if you look at is about i think last number i saw was 400 million uh, approximately 400 million and their current average revenue per user is only about 2 dollars so they're not really making a lot of money on this private subscriber base that they have right now but as always the plan was to generate a lot of data and then run other businesses on that data and financial services i think is a perfect fit which will uh, fit very well into their current telecom play but also the retail play which is built on the telecom play so that would be an interesting thing to see and if you were to just compare look at the largest nbfc today and they basically bajaj finance and they have a franchise customer franchise about 50 million so even if out of 400 million they are able to get about 50 million or uh, around that number into their financial services arm especially on the lending side of it it is a very strong business they can build and then they can extend it right they can build a single one stop shop for all financial services need where they understand you much better than any other financial services can understand you based on your not only your telecom usage data consumption but also your purchase history of what you're buying and how you're buying and their relationship with of course whatsapp and everyone makes it easier for them to reach out to a lot of people osborne any thoughts on this i think uh, in addition to reliance uh, even tata launched their financial services arm as yeah, yeah. part That's of tata right. new as well right so uh, it's amazing to see all these large companies now getting into financial services largely lending and insurance and all of those which ties into their existing businesses of uh, retail and other aspects right uh, i think if they really execute well and build it contextually as opposed to just providing a plain vanilla let's say personal loan or you know motor insurance or health insurance i think if it's contextual and maybe at the point of sale which they have both these companies have a big say in how the checkout process works how distribution works and things like that if they are able to execute well on those aspects i think uh, they will be a force to reckon with Right. One point was that I think it is interesting that these large players are doing this, but I think our family-run large businesses had this figured out long back that if you have a customer franchise on your traditional business, it makes sense to build a financial services business over it instead of giving that business to someone else. You look at 
से अचोला और हीरो और टीवीएस फॉर एजेस Right. They started with a business which was in completely different traditional business, which could be automobile or bicycles or whatever. And then quickly realized that to buy these people need money. Why don't I open an NBFC? Once you have an NBFC, they realize okay, I already have people. Why don't I also buy a insurance company where which what which is what Chola did long time back. So I think this is not a new thing. It's just that it is coming to focus now. But our traditional business houses or family-run businesses figured it figured this out long back. You're right, Ivan. Osborn, I had a quick question for you. In your day job, when you look at investing into various firms, right? Do you do a lot of research in terms of actually downloading some of these uh, fintech apps and uh, trying them out? Yeah, unfortunately, it's a it's an occupational hazard where you have to <laughs> use all these apps. And I think uh, I have accounts in an, almost all these fintech startups. Uh, unfortunately, for my CA. He has to sit and reconcile all my accounts across various mutual funds, <laughs> various uh, you know neo bank startups and all of this stuff. So, so yes, in short, yes, I have to. We have to try this. What's the one app that really stood out for you in the last year? I think for me, uh, one app that I really loved using was uh, Neo Neo Global, where okay. they have this uh, amazing travel card for people that travel abroad. Uh, and i think it's your standard sort of neo bank account uh, via an app and stuff like that but uh, what was really amazing for me to see is just how much i saved uh, from my international travels right uh, and on almost every transaction i saved about 100 rupees at minimum so and at the end of my travel they even sent me an email saying that i had saved uh, in what two and a half weeks i saved almost 8000 rupees so i was pleasantly surprised and didn't expect that kind of uh, service uh, and i was i was amazed by that sort of experience with them so that was i think the best app that i used this year in fact i've been a new evangelist of sorts right i convinced him to get one card as well yeah i'm still using it <laughs> and it's in, fact, in fact in uh, fact the very second episode we did on this podcast actually featured new so they were kind enough to kind of be the first inaugural guest to come on board so that is yes. interesting for us as well vinay as well is an amazing founder yep. uh, i think have had interesting conversations with him about banking in the country uh, and he has a very unique view about it uh, so it's no doubt that he's built a company like this so in fact for me uh, an app which i literally tried out last night and i discovered it Quite, quite by accident in the last couple of days is a uh, is something really kind of left field, right? So the Reserve Bank of India actually has this app called Money M A N I. Okay, so this is kind of geared towards uh, the visually impaired. It's an app that someone who can't see, who's blind, or has some kind of uh, uh, visual impairment can actually download on the app, control it using voice commands, and the cool part of it is it uses your camera to scan. bank currency note and tell you the denomination of the bank currency note interesting so i found it pretty cool and the fact that the reserve bank is actually building out stuff like this as well yeah it is amazing yeah they should do more on promoting it though <laughs> it would be good for people to know about it it's an amazing yeah. app interesting <clears throat> on elroy on, on on my side actually there are a couple of them uh, that were very interesting for me uh, and i've always been uh, very interested in embedded financial services so and when i was booking my vacation for this year the year end vacation 
I came across that I kept guessing, getting these WhatsApp messages from Trip Money, and I for a second thought there is a fraud message coming to me. I don't know who Trip Money is, right? And then I realized and looked into it because, as Osborne said, we are in fintech, so we have to look into <laughs> who is trying to sell insurance to you, and figured out that Make My Trip has created their own financial services arm, which is Trip Money, and they have done multiple investments across uh, other fintechs and they are the ones who are either trying to sell insurance products to you or they are also providing loans for you to actually plan your vacation so which is very interesting right quietly being done but another example of a player from a completely different industry doing a financial services business and doing it well though so i ended up buying insurance through them because they kept bringing me but uh, they caught me at the right time right because i was anyways booking it and there is not much differentiation when it comes to travel insurance and the number is also small so that was very interesting for me for sure oh, and the second one was tyke uh, i was very really always very interested in making an investment in a startup but the numbers are always so big uh, or at least my salary does not match up to the number of saying now i can start making an angel investment so these guys came up and said that you can make an investment in a startup of course they say 5000 it will be slightly higher but that's very interesting because i always thought to become an angel investment the ticket sizes are always in the range of say a 10 lakh or something uh, but that's another one which i found really interesting i think now it's time to look at uh, predictions for the next year so oh, i love this game we make predictions and all the time they are wrong next year but still <laughs> yeah you can't really do much for stuff that you can't plan for but uh, generally what do you think as the top two predictions uh, for next year Yeah I think the biggest one for me uh, is the movement from growth focus which was the focus for last year moving to profitability and as i said the moment the focus will shift to profitability uh, either they will try to get more share of wallet of their existing customers where because a lot of fintech have built a large customer base or they would try to get more out of their current cost structures that they have built so you will see a lot of either uh acquisitions or acquisitions or uh, partnerships happening on the side of a, a company playing in certain area trying to partner with someone providing a different financial services or non financial services to get more share of wallet from their consumers on the other side the larger fintech firms you will see a lot of them taking up efficiency improvement or cost optimization kind of work in their own organization to ensure that they are being run very very efficiently which may include of course also hiring of people who have expertise in that those particular spaces osborn i have a lot of thoughts on this and uh, one hope for next year uh, the one hope that i have for next year is that i hope uh, we as an ecosystem of fintech startups investors builders and all of us we engage more and have more conversation with the regulators I think from early stages we need to have those engagements and conversations. The RBI, at least from whatever I've heard, is more than interested to learn from the latest innovation that's happening and actually further those innovations, right, or protect those innovations to some extent. And so I I hope we have more of those engagements uh, in the coming year. That's one. Uh, when it comes to predictions, quite a few. <laughs> uh, I hope they all come true. but uh, one prediction that i hope happens is uh, the exit of tourist founders in fintech and the uh, sort of and, and serious builders or true builders sort of staying in and continuing to persist and build in fintech i really hope that happens uh, and i think 
at least given the recent regulations and all of that, a lot of people have started to have existential thoughts about fintech in the country, but I don't think there is an existential threat. I just think that the hype and tourism around fintech in India will sort of reduce and the serious builders will continue to, to build, right? So I think that is one. Second is I believe that there could be a lot of consolidations in the country, larger fintechs acquiring smaller fintechs, banks acquiring fintech startups, and those sort of consolidations as well. We've already seen that happen this year. Another thing that, again, that I hope happens next year uh, is uh, the focus on fraud prevention. Right. Uh, I think we've, we've focused a lot on distribution and new innovative products and co-creation and things like that. But from a fraud prevention perspective, we've put very little emphasis. There's already very little data around it. I think focusing on fraud prevention is going to be very crucial for the coming year. Uh, and I think it's something that I think will continue to happen in, this, uh, in the country. Those are really interesting thoughts, Osman. From my perspective, I think, uh, let me break this up into maybe two or three parts, right? Uh, from a payments perspective, I think the next year is finally going to be the year when we figure out whether the PPI model will continue to be uh, something that's viable or we'll finally see the de- death of the wallet. Elroy, you are quintessential doomsayer. Every year you have one of those things saying that last year it was new bank, whether they will stay or die. <laughs> this year it is PPI model. My last, year's mo- my last year's prediction came somewhat true, right? <laughs> That is true. Okay. (laughs) And the reason I say this is because with all the innovations that are happening in UPI, there's simply no reason for someone to use a wallet. Mm. The latest one, which is UPI Lite, kind of of mimics a pseudo wallet. So it'll be interesting to see whether that uh, model evolves into something better next year, or we finally see the final nail in its coffin next year. Uh, The second interesting area I think that's going to be uh, uh, 2023's primary focus is this whole banking as a service piece. Uh, that's a trend that's really catching up in the West. Pretty much every bank worth its salt is doing some investment or the other in that space. And within India also, there's a lot of stuff that's happened, right? Uh, if you see the latest news that was in the press uh, about uh, SPM reportedly trying to raise money, pitching itself as a banking as a service player in India, uh, that is an uh, interesting play that will play out in the coming year. And uh, the reason I say it's interesting because as uh, more and more smaller banks look at it, uh, as an avenue to increase uh, or get more customers uh, as a fly flywheel to kind of increase customer acquisition. It's going to be increasingly going to attract the attention of the regulator. And I wouldn't be surprised if somewhere towards the mid of next year, the regulator actually started coming out with specific guidelines on digital banking and neobanking, uh, specifically focused on the BAS end of the equation and less on the uh, fintech side of the equation. And uh, I think the final thing that everyone will eagerly await for in uh, 2023 is the whole crypto bill. And depending on what shape and form that takes, uh, it's going to really change uh, how crypto is actually looked at uh, in the Indian space. I'm hoping it's a more positive and forward-looking space, which will further give impetus to builders, especially since they've been hammered in this entire year with the entire crash that's happened in crypto. So I think that's more or less what I had in mind from a prediction. Mm. So from that, Elroy, now I remember as usual, I all, I have all uh, left wealth and insurance. So I'll just cover like yeah. a couple of trends that I see in those two areas. One is insurance, as I was talking about, um, you will see a lot of distributors moving into manufacturing of the insurance product, uh, which is started happening and you will also see a lot of manufacturers also trying to get into distributor because as i said a key trend now is we are getting back into the stage of rebundling right every like last year the year before 
the trend was there was unbundling happening and saying i'll do one thing i'll do one thing well and i'll acquire customers now the thing of acquiring customers is going to continue but they have already acquired customers the question is about getting more out of them and that's why there will be a trend of the manufacturer already have a license trying to do distribution to get more money and the distributors who have the customers but they are not really getting a lot from it because of even the regulator saying you can how much you can pay to a distributor for selling insurance right because finally you don't want a conflict of interest there right so they also trying to get into manufacturing saying let me get a license to create my own products because for a long time there is a lot of distribution innovation that has happened in insurance but not so much on the product side there is happening but on a smaller scale so there is a lot of effort on that side so that's one big trend i see that you will see a lot of product innovation happening and people from distribution getting into manufacturing and the other way around as well the other one is that post the covid time that we saw the health insurance growth has really picked up right so last four years it has been growing at about like 26% which is the highest motor still dominates the general insurance with like 45% of the gdpi but health is going really really fast so we expect to see a lot more happening on the health insurance side as well maybe there will be an ecosystem play happening in health where they will try to cover insurer will try to cover you from all sides as far as health is concerned so that's on the insurance side the second is on the wealth which has a similar story to insurance because kind of similar product so the revenue to be made or profit to be made is primarily on the advisory side of it because just the broking bit the margins have become really really thin right it's a very very competitive market and that's why you all also see a lot of these brokers trying to get into amc businesses where they want to create their own baskets advise customers on where to invest in all so and i think zerodha grow are already in play to get an amc license from that perspective so you will see people moving into this end to end wealth management one stop shop kind of offering the second bit that you can see a lot of action on is maybe people trying to invest in alternate assets which could be a fractional real estate kind of business or a startup investment or as i said ricker club kind of companies where it is revenue based financing or get vantage kind of companies where people can get in one i think we should cover some trend at least on the incumbent side so one on the incumbent side would be i see a lot of banks now focusing on very niche profit pools and the example i will take is if you look at purely just the icici in last a year or so they have launched one theme or ecosystem focused product on the education side you will see a lot of ads you would have seen products coming out they have launched instabiz which is saying we'll do a lot of sme focused small business focused offering not limited to financial services only in all these cases and i think there was third on travel as well so there is a lot of ecosystem focused play happening from the banking side as well there where they're saying let me get into a particular ecosystem which has a large banking profit pool and let me give everything to them that they require not only financial services but non financial services and try to capture that pool so those were the few things that i had on my mind which i think this is amazing and i hope everything both of you have said comes true uh, there's so much to be excited for fintech in india definitely ospon ospon was great having you on uh, the show and i hope you had a great time chatting with us as well i, I did uh, really appreciate uh, you having me on this podcast and i hope this adds value to how your listeners think about fintech in india uh, if uh, our listeners wanted to get in touch with you ospon what's the best way to do that i'm <laughs> fairly active on social uh, i am on twitter at os7borne my yeah. email is os@em.vc uh, so uh, and i reply to everyone i love cold emails so happy to hear from anyone 
and uh, Ospon has just been a bit too modest. He also runs a brilliant fintech newsletter. Maybe you should talk a little bit about that as well, Ospon. Yeah, sure. Thanks for that, uh, Roy. Uh, I think uh, in uh, the pandemic year of 2020, I started a newsletter called Fintech Inside, basically covering insights on fintech, new business models in, in fintech in India, trying to draw on inspiration from fintech in Southeast Asia as well, where I cover a little bit of the news over there. And I go really deep on certain topics around fintech in India. Thankfully, and to my surprise, it's been read by some really strong uh, personalities in India and globally, in, including founders, investors, regulators, uh, and all of that. So it's been quite an experience. So Excellent. Uh, we'll include the details to the Substack as well in the show notes. So if anyone wants to subscribe to this brilliant newsletter, they can do that as well. Thanks once again for being part of the show, Osman. Thanks, Elroy. Thanks, Eman. Uh, that's it from India Fintech Diaries for this week and this year. As we sign up for the holidays, uh, we hope all of you have a great end of the year. 